You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Uh, listen, we're in week four of a series called Choose Your Mood. If you'll remember in week one, we learned that it's, it's good to be you. It's good, it's okay to be you. And in week two, we learned that you can have joy even when you're unhappy. And last week, Pastor Keith helped us to see how to get rid of those destructive feelings we have towards other people. This week, I want to talk to you about feeling bad. I know this. You've been here, haven't you? Anyone been here feeling bad? Some of you might even be in this gathering room right now, and you feel bad. There are many reasons we find ourselves standing here in the place where we feel bad. Sometimes it's because people have put us there. Have you had those people in your life who make you feel bad? I mean, they think their role is to be somehow God, the Holy Spirit, and convict us of everything that's wrong, but, but they make us feel bad. Uh, Shelly and I have a, a friends, they're a married couple, and they couldn't have been more different from each other. I mean, she feels bad probably more than she should. And I've watched people actually use it and be able to manipulate her. In fact, I've watched her own mother, you know, uh, make her feel bad to do something. And the thought of feeling bad was worse. So she went ahead and did what her mom wants her to do all the time because she doesn't want to feel, feel bad. That's what it says, feel bad. They, 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 they didn't want to feel bad. I, I've watched her at work. She works incredibly hard, but often because she doesn't want to disappoint people. She doesn't want them to. Feel, she doesn't want to feel bad about letting them down. Now, she's married to someone that's totally different than her. He doesn't feel things. <laughs> I mean, now he does feel things, but he's the type of guy that elevates facts over feelings. Now, sometimes it's the woman in the relationship, sometimes it's a guy in the relationship, but there's usually someone in the relationship that elevates more of the facts over the feelings. What a great couple together. He helps her get off this box and stop feeling bad for everything and being manipulated by everyone. But she helps him, you know, be giant, gentler and kinder and nicer and warmer to people. So sometimes we're feeling bad because someone puts us in this place. Sometimes we're feeling bad and you might be here today because you've suffered loss in this life. It's appropriate to stand here when you're grieving. You've lost someone you love or you've lost something you love. And we go into this moment where we feel bad. It might be an actual death. It might be the loss of someone you love because they're no longer the person they once were. Maybe it's Alzheimer's or something has affected them. And we're in a state of maybe mourning. We feel bad. There's a third reason sometimes we feel bad. The third reason is sometimes we put ourselves here, don't we? Have you ever done something, said something, thought something, and you knew it was wrong? and you end up feeling bad. And what do we want to do? We want to get off this box ASAP. See, here's the facts and the truth about feeling bad. The first one is everyone does, right? Good people feel bad. Bad people, sometimes you wish they felt more bad, <laughs> but, but, but they all feel bad. Righteous people feel bad. Unrighteous people feel bad. You know, the fact is, you can be a follower of Jesus, you can be trusting God for your salvation, a person of prayer, but you will stand here, even if you're that. In fact, I, I like what one guy said, and I, I want to get the quote right. He said, life is pain, 
Anyone who says differently is selling you something. And if you read the Bible, you realize it's not selling you something. Christianity is not some fairy tale fantasy to make you feel better. It's not a crutch for weak people. Christianity is very realistic. Very realistic. And the Bible would say this, that you can, do, you can be a very good person. You can do a lot of good things in this life, and you can still be standing here. In John chapter 16, Jesus said to the people who followed him, he said, in this world, you will, <laughs> not optional, you will have trouble. In other words, in this life, you will have bad moments. You're going to feel bad in this life. There are moments, it's unavoidable. So everyone stands here. There's a second truth, though, about feeling bad, and it's that everyone wants to get off this ASAP. None of us wants to feel bad, and we've developed all kinds of strategies to help us avoid standing here. So what do we do? Well, we do all kinds of things. We visited some of it two weeks ago. We have strategies to escape this. Instead of feeling bad, when we're feeling bad, we'll jump off and let's just binge watch some Netflix. You know, numb the feeling bad so I don't feel bad anymore. Let's jump on social media. Let's try to find out something good that someone's saying about me or something, someone else is doing something far worse than me and somehow I feel better. I don't feel as bad. Uh, some of us numb the pain or we're feeling bad and what we need to do is we're foodies. We just want to eat. Or maybe you like what I talked about two weeks ago, some retail therapy. Nothing like something new to get you off the box, right? You buy something new, a new gadget, a new dress, I know whatever's new helps you not go boo-hoo anymore. How's that? You can take that. You can use that on your... Okay. okay, lighten up, friends. Okay, so we do all kinds of things to try to get, and we have all kinds of strategies so that we don't feel bad in this life. Now, it's true that everyone will find themselves here. Everyone wants to get off of here as soon as possible. Here's the truth, though, when you read the Bible, you realize that this was never supposed to be a permanent place. Feeling bad was supposed to be temporary. It's not meant to be forever. So I'm going to say something that I know Pastor Keith would want to say to you. What I would want to say at some point in the series, I'm going to say it right now. And for some of you, this might be the most important part of the message. If you find yourself standing here for a prolonged period of time and it becomes pervasive and dark, where you feel bad a lot of the time, that is an indicator that you need some help. You need some additional help. Now, for some people, it's a sign of weakness to call for help. I want to say that I believe, and I know Pastor Keith does, that's a sign of courage, actually. It takes courage. And in 25 years of pastoring, I've met with a lot of people who felt bad, and some of them for a long period of time. And I'm going to say something that I haven't said before, but I want to say it in this context because I love you. I've noticed that there's a stigma about mental and emotional health, particularly around certain cultural groups, feel it more than others, and certain religious wiring where they would see mental and emotional things more as spiritual issues. And so they pray a lot about it, but nothing changes because it's a, it's a mental or emotional issue and we need help. Now, you might be sitting there and you're going like, you're making me feel uncomfortable, Jonathan. Well, let me lean into it then. <laughs> if you came to me after the service, you came to Pastor Keith after the service and you said, listen, I'm having chest pain 
and my heart is going like this, and I've got a pain going down my arm. Would you pray for me? Both of us would say, we'll pray, <laughs> but you're going to go see a doctor ASAP. Now, would that be a lack of faith? Well, no. We're not, we, I won't be presumptuous to determine how God is going to touch your body. I'm going to make sure I've seen often God uses medical professionals to help us when we're broken, when something's not working. So some of us, our next step, if we've been here for a long time, and it's prolonged and pervasive and it's dark, our next step might be to see our family doctor. Our next, next step might be to see a professionally licensed counselor, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. And some of you are saying right away, what are you saying, I'm crazy? No, I'm saying you're human, like I am. I know what it means to seek professional help when I had my learning disability and I had trouble reading. And I never thought I'd be on a stage speaking to anyone because my dyslexia was so dysfunctional. But some professionals helped me develop strategies and ways that I could overcome that. I know what it's like to be later on in life, to be in a place where I was feeling bad a lot of the time because I hadn't unpacked some of the stuff that had happened to me in life. So I went and saw a professional licensed counselor. Who, you know what they did? They helped me unpack and move from there to here so I could move forward in life. It wasn't because I lacked spirituality or prayer or anything. These are professionals that helped me move forward. Now, I want to say that because I want you to know that, I, mean, I haven't said this in a long time, but I will say this. Hey, friends, remember this whenever you're in a gathering like this. All the perfect people left a long time ago. It's just you and me. We are people, a community of people that are deeply loved by Jesus, and we are deeply striving to be devoted to Jesus. But we are very, very imperfect. So if you're perfect, this is probably not the church you're going to like because we're very imperfect people, and it's okay not to be okay here. Now, you'll probably hear from us because I, I love to challenge you because I don't want you to stay where you are. Because I do feel like, although it's okay not to be okay, we can all be a little more okay, can't we? We can grow deeper into our faith in Jesus. We can take greater steps of health towards what God has for us. So friends, being, feeling bad, everyone finds themselves here. Everyone does. Everyone wants out of here ASAP. But you and I were designed to only be here temporarily, not permanently. So if it's prolonged or pervasive, I'm going to encourage you at the end of our gathering to take a next step towards health, a next step towards freedom. So, Jonathan, what are you going to tell us about feeling bad? Well, I'm going to give you three things in the Bible that actually says you can get good out of standing here. Actually, there's times where it's really good to feel bad really good to feel bad. And some of us, we should take some notes on this because this is moments we try to escape where God can teach us things and we can grow in ways that if we don't feel bad, we're not going to experience it. So I'm going to give you three ways that you'll find in scripture. At the end of our gathering, Pastor Matt's going to come out here and lead us in a song we sang earlier about dependence on God. And I'm going to invite you here or online, if you are feeling bad, I'm going to invite you to stand as he sings that song. Now, why? Because when we stand, we acknowledge our feelings. It's really critical. And, you know, man, I'm going to lean into you a little bit. Some of us lack some of the emotional language around identifying why we feel the way we are. 
It's really critical you understand your feelings. Feelings sometimes lie to you. Sometimes feelings give an indication of what's broken inside of us. So in those moments, if you're feeling bad, I'm going to invite you to stand because we're going to pray for you today. We're going to pray that God does something deep in your life. Now, if you're online, go ahead and jump into the chat room. Ask some questions. I'll answer them at the end of the gathering about the message. But I want to start by giving you three ways, three times it's good to feel bad. And the first time is when we feel, can you say it with me? Guilt. Guilt. Nobody wants to feel guilty. That's why some of you don't come to church often. Because when you come to church, someone says something that makes you feel bad. And then you think, oh, the way not to feel bad is to avoid places where I feel guilty. Or avoid people that make me feel guilty. Listen, guilt is not something to avoid. Guilt is something to resolve. Guilt is not something you are meant to carry around. Guilt is not something we can live in because we're not built to live feeling bad all the time. It's something that you and I have been designed to resolve in this life. See, friends, this is going to defy some of your thinking. Sometimes feeling bad is such a great gift because it's only when you stand there you experience the depth of grace that Christ has towards you. It's when you experience there, you can experience the depth of his love. And it's actually these moments, even moments where we experience guilt, where transformation can happen in our lives. But you're probably a little bit like me. I don't like feeling guilty. I do not like it at all. Why? Because I feel bad. So we develop strategies, and the Bible tells us we all have strategies how to avoid feeling bad, how to avoid feeling guilty. The first is we try to build our calluses up. We, we can harden our conscience because we don't like feeling bad. So what, what's the solution? Well, harden up. Uh, I, I grew up in a family where you had to play musical instruments. You just didn't have a choice. You know, I don't know if you came from that type of family. And it was never, and my family was funny because it wasn't good enough to play one instrument. No, 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 no. You had to play multiple instruments. Didn't matter if you had any talent. Didn't matter if you're good at it. You're going to do it. So I remember learning the guitar, and the one first thing that shocked me learning guitar is how much it hurts your fingers pressing those metal strings down when you first start playing guitar. It, I, don't, I like playing the piano far better. Playing the guitar was hard. It hurt until you built up the calluses. See, when you build up a callus, you don't feel things the same way. Things don't pinch the same way. Things don't hurt the same way. Sometimes we're feeling bad because we're feeling guilty. There's good that comes from guilt, though, but not if you don't feel it anymore. See, how do you build up a callus when you feel guilty? It's kind of like your alarm clock at home. If you've got an alarm clock, anyone have a snooze button? <laughs> anyone use the snooze button? The alarm goes, and you press the snooze button. When we feel guilt and we keep pressing the snooze button, after a while, we don't hear the alarm. Guilt is an alarm that is basically saying you're moving away from God, not towards God. It's stuff we've done, stuff we've said, stuff we thought that is moving us further away from God. And we press the, alarm, the snooze button enough, we don't hear it anymore. And this is the dangerous part of no longer feeling good guilt. I'll talk about false guilt in a minute. Good guilt. After a while, it's like driving at night with no lights on, on the side of a cliff, with no railing and no lines. Eventually, 
because there are no alarms in your life. Eventually, the Bible is fairly consistent, but I think life is fairly consistent. You're an accident waiting to happen. This is actually, when you feel guilt, think of it, reframe it, because sometimes we build these calluses in our lives, but also, this might be my favorite strategy, is not so much even to be callous, because I don't like feeling guilty. What I love to do is justify. I like to build a case to justify my behavior. Don't you like doing that? Uh, nobody's better at doing that than you are for you. I, I think of some of the ways. When I'm feeling guilty, I, I wrote down some of them. I thought, when I'm feeling guilty of something I've said or done, one of the ways I justify it, I say, they had it coming. I mean, they had it coming. I said what I had to say because they had it coming. Why should I feel guilty? I shouldn't feel guilty. I build a case to justify or my behavior, my speech, my attitude, all of those things. Why? Because they had it coming. Is that one of your favorite ones? Or one of the ones I love is, is listen, everybody's doing it. I'm only human, and I justify not feeling guilty, and I'm pressing the snooze button every time I do that because I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel guilty. One of my favorite ones, especially when I'm in a church and some preacher's going on about something or they, someone says something that makes me feel guilty. You know one of the ones I love to say is, I love to say, well, that, was happened a that was for a different era. A long time ago, that's not 2019. You know, I didn't see that on Twitter. So it can't be real. So I love to justify it by distancing myself and saying, well, that's for an ancient time. My favorite though, my favorite, and listen, I recommend this. If you're looking to justify bad behavior, this is the easiest one to do. You know, when you've done something, said something, thought something that you know is wrong and you're feeling guilty and you don't want to feel guilty because it's making you feel bad, here's the best one. Oh, at least I'm not that guy. You know? At least I'm not, insert the name of the friend that you have in your friendship circle that is a total mess and sideshow. And then at least I'm not them. You know what it's like to have a person like that around, don't you? Oh, you've got to get one. They're amazing because you have an opt-out on everything because at least your life is not like their life. At least it's not like that. And we use this to justify getting off the box. But see, guilt is actually, good guilt is good for you. There's something when you feel bad that can actually lead to something great in your life. I feel guilt when I've said something, done something, thought something that is moving me further away from God, further away from my creator. Guilt reminds me I have unfinished business. I've got unfinished business. I have some uh, shoelaces that have not been tied up yet. I have some things that I'm carrying around with me. Guilt is good when it leads you to forgiveness. Feeling bad can lead to freedom. Guilt can be good. Guilt is that moral alarm. You know, if you're a video gamer, I'm sure many of you are, you're, you're playing a game that has a map like Call of Duty or something like that. Whenever you come to the edge of the screen or the map, it warns you, it says you're leaving the game. And you can't, you can't go beyond that. Well, guilt is like that little warning that comes up that says, listen, the trajectory of your life now is moving you away from what you want to be in, not towards what you should be in. It's a little bit of a moral alarm that goes off. When you think of guilt, think of it this way. Reframe it. Think of good guilt this way. It is evidence that God loves you. He loves you. 
He wants relationship with you. You are feeling bad in this moment because you're doing something that is kind of breaking that relationship. And he loves you so much, he gives you this warning to allow you to correct behavior. So when it comes to guilt, think of it this way. Here's the promise for anyone. If you're feeling guilty for anything you've said, done, or thought, think of whatever it is, and you're in this gathering, you're online, you say, yeah, I've got this residue guilt in my life. Realize you were never meant to live here and in fact, you weren't meant to carry guilt around. It's, well, you weren't built that way. Here's what the Apostle John says. He says, for anyone who's feeling guilty, if we confess, I like how Pastor Matt led us in that prayer, we confess our need for God, which is humbling, but sometimes we need to confess our sin. If we confess our sins or our guilt to him, he is faithful and just, now, you might want to read this next part with me because it's so good. Faithful and just to, read it with me, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, I love this verse, and at the same time, it, this is a hard verse because it's not talking about someone else's sin. It's not talking about someone else's wickedness. I can only confess mine. And when I confess that, Here's what he says. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your guilt and your sin. And then not just forgive you, but cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you think about this. When we do that, that's when guilt, that's when feeling bad is good. We feel guilty and it leads us to a place of forgiveness. So that means that everyone in this room who's feeling guilty, you can leave it here today. You don't need to take it out there. It doesn't have to drive home with you. It doesn't have to have the seat in the bus next to you. It doesn't have to be strapped into the back seat and come with you. It doesn't have to go to work with you tomorrow morning. It doesn't even have to go to bed with you tonight. You can leave it here. It's not meant to go with you. Guilt can be good when it leads us to a place of forgiveness. Now, here's the problem when you stay too long in it, though. If you stay feeling bad too long for something you've done, you begin to develop an overactive conscience. Some people have a lot of false guilt in their life. They feel guilty for things they shouldn't feel guilty for. Have you met people like that? No, because you're one of them, right? You know, you can feel guilty for things that you shouldn't even feel guilty for. Some people feel guilty because they don't eat fish on Friday and their mom told them they should always eat fish on Friday. I've met stay-at-home spouses, moms or dads, who feel guilty for not working, and I've met spouses who feel guilty for working. It's just like, if you want reasons to feel guilty, this world will give you plenty of reasons to feel guilty. Always take that false guilt and run it through the lens of what does God say in the Bible? What does he say in scripture? Because don't carry around false guilt. Don't go around feeling bad for things you shouldn't feel bad for. Step off the box. But if you've got good guilt. You feel bad and you know you should. Leave it here today. I'll give you the opportunity later. You ready for something different though? Should we switch? Let's go into something happier, right? How is feeling bad happy? Well, the next one is, is conviction, which is so much better, right? When you feel convicted of something, you feel bad. It's so much, it's different than guilt. Guilt is something we feel bad about for something we've done, said, or thought. Conviction is what we feel when we didn't have an awareness what we were doing was wrong. 
So the Bible says conviction is the doorway to faith or a relationship with Jesus. We're going through life. We didn't even know what we were doing was wrong. We had some sort of indication, some residue of the image of God that stamped on our life, and we kind of knew something wasn't right, but we weren't sure. But all of a sudden, conviction is that moment that we feel or that conversation of God speaking to us that something we're doing right now is harmful or hurtful to us. It looks different than guilt this way. Guilt is tied to what we've done in the past. So we feel guilty for things we've done, said, or thought. And that's not a bad thing, but we should get rid of that today. Conviction is tied to what we're presently doing. We may feel conviction for some of the decisions we're presently engaged in making, for some of the life values that we are holding on to, some of the truths that are in conflict with, with what God says, your creator. Guilt is about tied to what we know is wrong. We knew it was wrong and we did it anyway. Conviction is tied to what we didn't know was wrong. We didn't know it was even wrong, but we felt this conviction happen. How does that happen? Well, John chapter 16, Jesus says some interesting things, but when Jesus left, he died and he ascended to heaven. He sent his spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm speaking to you now. You are filled with the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus. Jesus' spirit is inside of you. And the Holy Spirit encourages you. The Holy Spirit reminds you that you belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds you that you're loved. But the Holy Spirit also convicts us convicts us. When we move away from God's plan, when we move away from Jesus' character, when we move away from the nature of God, it's kind of like that early warning light on your dashboard of your car. Do you ever get those? You know, a light comes on that's never been on before. And sometimes it even starts to flash. I've been, I've been in the car and the light comes on and Shelly will say, what's that light for? Oh, nothing. And why? Because I'm a guy. I was hoping it'll go away, right? I'm hoping that when I start it the next day, somehow the light's gone. Don't you, look, don't you want it to be that way? Conviction is something that sometimes we want to turn off because we're hoping that somehow it'll go away. Be very nervous when it does. There are many instances in Scripture that I find sobering. There's one of a man named Samson in the Old Testament. It's very interesting. He had this supernatural strength, and it would always say when the Spirit came on him, he did these great feats. By the end of his story, he's doing those feats, and he no longer experiences the Spirit, but he doesn't know that God's no longer with him. He's lost the sense of conviction. He's lost that sense of the Spirit leading or talking to him, but he's not even aware of it. He's driving with his eyes closed. That story has a, a difficult ending, but I understand how life is. Conviction is this moment, and value, learn to value it. You can ignore it or lean into it. Here's how it looks in my life. It's when I'm talking to people, and we're talking about somebody else, but we're not praising them. We're tearing them down, and there's that niggling thing inside of me that says, I don't think this is right. And there's a part of me that wants to justify it immediately and say, listen, everybody does this. Everybody gossips, everyone does this. And so there's a part of me that wants to step off this and say, listen, this is justified. But that niggling inside of you, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I love you. Be very careful what you're doing right now. The person I talk, you're talking about 
is fearfully and wonderfully made, and I love them. I know they're not perfect. I know they might even deserve some of the things you're saying. But I've designed it that you can only resolve this by talking to them, not about them. Very difficult. I, I, you can do it when you're, you, maybe you invest funds in mutual funds or stocks or anything, and you invest in a company that you know is not ethical or not congruent with the values of scripture, but you're making lots of money off it. But there's that niggling thing inside of you. Should I really be investing in this? But the money is out there. Or it's that niggling feeling you get, that conviction when you're using all your money just on yourself. You're just like, I don't think this is right. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you in those moments. It's when that woman becomes an object to you, not a person. And you value their shape more than their character. There's a little bit of, you know, it's not right. That's conviction. It's those moments when at work or in any place where you see an injustice and you choose to look the other way. And you leave that moment and you just feel like, man, that wasn't right. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us. So Jesus said it would look a lot like this in John 16. He actually said that when the Holy Spirit would come, he said this first, he said, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict, which was originally written in the Greek language. It means expose. He will expose the world of its sin. He will convict the world of its sin. So the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is around us. And there's these moments of conviction, these early warning lights that's saying, listen, you, this predetermined path isn't leading to a good place. But I never saw this, friends. I never even thought of it this way. Not only is it of sin, this is really amazing. He also convicts or exposes God's righteousness. You know, as a follower of Jesus, that means this. When I came to Christ, I'm an imperfect person, but I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. But if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know it's the beginning of transformation. There's going to be successive change that's going to need to happen in your life because God is leading you greater into his righteousness. So sometimes, friends, I'll feel the Holy Spirit say something that maybe being, going to a certain place, doing a certain thing, maybe that was okay then. It's not okay now. And that's, not, that's a personal conviction. I would never put that on you. I have some weaknesses you don't have. You have some weaknesses I don't have. You might be able to go some places and honor God in a way that maybe I couldn't. So I have some personal convictions that lead me towards God's righteousness because the Holy Spirit wants to build that into me. But not just this. Look at this. So when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of, he'll expose us to the idea of coming judgment. That's enough to make you feel bad. Why is he doing that? Because he wants us to be aware of what the facts are. Your feelings will try to cloud them out, but the fact is, the fact is, every one of us will stand before God someday. And we'll give it account. Now, we can give it account for our sin now or then. If we are a follower of Jesus and you're clothed in his righteousness, it'll be Jesus' record that they'll see, not your record. It's amazing. We get God's grace and forgiveness. But we'll also give a record for what we did with what God gave us. That's why living for the moment is not always helpful. And you feel conviction because you want to store, the Bible talks about storing up treasure in heaven. It's about doing the right things with what God has given you now so that even ahead of you, there's better things to come. 
So the Holy Spirit is involved in this idea of convicting us. And when you feel conviction, you have this opportunity to respond. Here, here's how you deal with guilt. You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Here's how you deal with conviction. Change. Change. I feel convicted about doing, saying, acting this way right now, presently. Change your behavior. I'm going to turn because I felt conviction. You'll have people around you will say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that, but it might be wrong for you. The Holy Spirit works in each of our lives individually. Be careful of putting your personal convictions on other people. And at the same time, be careful putting your freedoms and liberties on other people. Because everyone is uniquely wired. Allow the Holy Spirit to be your coach. Okay, can we move on? We've talked about, yes, please. We talked about guilt and conviction. There's another reason we can feel bad that actually leads to good. But this one's a tough one. It's grief or loss. When you lose someone you love, either through death or the broken or broken relationship, you should be on this box. It's appropriate to be on the box. It's appropriate to feel bad because we're grieving. It's not just someone though. Sometimes it's something you lose. I remember meeting with a man who lost his job and it was over 17 years before. But he loved that job. He loved it. He loved where he worked. He loved it. And he lost his job. And every other job after that couldn't compare. And you know, the longer he got removed from that job, the more romanticized that job can be. How great it was. It wasn't probably nearly as good as he remembers it, but it grew in his mind. And he was sitting there 17 years later, still feeling bad about something he lost 17 years in the past. Sometimes it's someone you lose. Sometimes it's something you lose. A, a, a pet can mean so much to a family and they lose it and they go into a season of grieving. It's hard to understand if you're not a pet owner. It could be even something you own. It could be a situation in life you're at where everyone was healthy in your house and you're grieving that glorious moment, that perfect moment when the kids were good, you were good, everything was good, and you're still living back then and you're grieving it and you feel bad. You can't even enjoy today because you're still there. The truth about grieving is this. For some of us, we stay too long here. For others of us, we don't stay long enough. We don't stay long enough here to truly grieve. It's critically important that we don't camp in the place of feeling bad and grieving. And sometimes we do it out of a misplaced loyalty because we truly love someone deeply and they're gone and it's hard to move forward because we almost feel like we're being disloyal to them. It can be a prolonged season of grieving, but I, I'll get to the solution on the other side. And for some of us though, we jump too quickly from it. We shed a tear at a funeral and we move forward in life because you stiff up or lip it. That's what you were taught. You just roll up your sleeves and you keep going. And you don't process the pain and the grieving. And I'll tell you this, friends, if you haven't discovered it already, it will come out. It'll come out in another way. In bad decisions you'll make, dysfunctional behaviors you'll begin to adopt to, all to numb the pain because we didn't allow ourselves to grieve. Allow ourselves to feel it. So where's the good in grieving, Jonathan? Well, in order to find that, you need to go to one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes. 
In fact, it, how many know of an author named Herman Melville? You guys know Herman Melville? No, okay. He wrote a book called Moby Dick. Anyone know that book? How many have seen a movie or a TV adaptation of Moby Dick or heard the story before, right? Okay, a number of you have. How many have actually read the book? It's like this big. It's like I started that book. Chapter two is just like, it's not worth it. I already saw the movie. I'm good. He wrote this. He said this about the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, Ecclesiastes is the truest book in the world. And the reason he said it is because, like many things in the Bible, it's not sugar-coated. It's true and real. And here's what he says, the writer of Ecclesiastes, about grieving. He says this, Better to spend your time at funerals, places of endings, places of loss, than at parties. I'm calling it a teenage illusion. I'll tell you in a moment. So better to be at a funeral than a party, he says. After all, everyone dies. New information to some of you here. Everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Do you mean there's good in feeling bad? Yeah, he's going to say there is. For sadness has a, can you say it with me? Refining influence. Sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person, I want to be a wise person, thinks a lot about death. Every time I think about death, I start feeling bad. A wise person thinks a lot about death. A fool thinks only about having a good time. What, now what is he saying here? What's he going on about? When he talks about those teenage illusions, this is how the fool lives. But do you remember when you were a teenager? Now some of you are reaching far back, and some of you are there right now. But when you're a teenager, there is an illusion you live in when you're a teenager. One of the illusions is this, there will always be a tomorrow. And you live with that illusion. And some of us live with that illusion well into our 80s and 90s, that there's always a tomorrow. There's another illusion that when you're a teenager, at least I know this, I can speak as a guy, I can't speak as a girl, but I know this, you feel invincible. You feel like nothing can hurt you. You know, things, bad things happen to other people, not me. You know why? I'm, I can power through that. You feel invisible. It's an illusion. You feel invincible. You feel like there's always a tomorrow and you always feel like there's plenty of time. And that's an illusion, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Those are illusions that we live in and we take from our teenage years and we live them out the rest of our lives. It's interesting. He says this. No, the writer of Ecclesiastes is interesting. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's a grand experiment. He participates in every pleasure this world has to offer. And he does it on steroids. He doesn't go half measure. He's all in. He's all about happiness, the party, laughter, the joy, all of the pleasures that are available. And in the end, he concludes, better grief than laughter. Why? Why would he conclude better grief than laughter? Well, in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, he does something very interesting. He says all the pleasures in this world, all of the good times in this world, they all come from the hand of God. And he says this, the pursuit of pleasure becomes more important than the pleasure giver. We want the pleasure more than we want the one who provides the pleasure. And it actually is a fool's errand. Let me illustrate this. You know when you go to one of those great restaurants that offers the free bread up front? 
I mean, I love it, especially when it comes hot. You can tell a good restaurant because the, the, the bread is warm and they send, give you butter and you melt that butter on and you eat that bread. And isn't it amazing? Maybe too much information, but here, here's, the th- here's the deal. I love bread, so I dive right in. But then the main meal comes and I'm partially full. Do you think that stops me? No, because I'm cheap. And there's no way I'm leaving that food on that plate. And so even if it hurts, even if it's sinful gluttony, I'm going there, that is going to be taken care of. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is basically saying this. All of these things you're chasing after in this life, they're like the bread. And the gift of grief The gift of grief is you lose your appetite for the appetizers and you want the main meal. You want the main meal. If you've ever had the painful experience of losing someone you love, uh, I've been through it with my wife, with her dad. I'll tell you what, the appetizers and the bling of this world matter little in that moment. You don't care what you're driving or what you're not driving. You don't care how you're dressed or how your hair looks. It doesn't even matter. What matters is someone you love is no longer there. And it has a way of pushing you into eternal things from temporary things. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, there's some good that can come from feeling bad. There's some good. You can recalibrate your life. There's hope that's there. See, basically, if I was going to summarize it, Pastor Keith said this to me this last week. I thought it was so good. Your mourning can lead to maturing. Your mourning can lead to maturing in that moment. So I'm going to talk to the younger people in this church just for a minute. If you're young, I get why you don't want to go to a funeral. Because it makes you feel bad. I want to tell you, as a young pastor, having to do funerals was a gift to me. One is, and I'm going to recommend, if you're younger here, if someone in our church family goes home to be with the Lord, you should slip in. You might need to take time off work to do it. But I'll tell you what the gift is. One is, you're honoring a life that was well-lived. And friends, in a world that keeps moving on so much and forgets everyone that's getting older or forgets those that are behind us, it's really important we pause and just honor a life that was well-lived Those in whom we stand on their shoulders, don't forget them. It's really good. The phonetic pace of life can wait. It'll be there in the next day. But pause to honor a life well lived. Here's the other gift in going if you're young. It causes you to remember that you will have one of these someday. And there's a funeral waiting for each of us. And it causes me to pause and say, how do I want to be remembered? How do, what, what treasure do I want to store up in heaven? What do I want to build into eternity, not just temporary? I want to live the type of life where my sons aren't celebrating what's left behind in the bank account. I'm sorry, boys. <laughs> but they will see their dad has tried to live an honorable life. Try to live a righteous life. Try to do the right things by people. Try to notice people that other people don't notice. Try to care for those who are down. That's the type of legacy. What are you leaving behind? Because someday, the gift of grieving is you know, someday, someone will be grieving you. 
and we get the opportunity out in front of it because at some point it's too late, right? It's like planning for your retirement once you retire. It's too late. And so don't plan for your funeral once you have it. Prep now. Live the type of life that you, you know, is God-honoring and, and, and joyous and adventurous and exploring this world and doing God's work. It's never boring serving God. There's good that can come from feeling bad. So if you're here, though, today and you're grieving, here's your promise. The word says in Psalm chapter 30, weeping may last through the night. And you know what it's like, friends, when you're not feeling well. That night never seems to end. You ever have those sicknesses where you're just like, when will the morning come? And everything when you're in the night, in the dark, seems bigger and worse than it is. Listen, you might be in a prolonged period of grieving. And other people around you might be saying, move forward. Hey, I get it. Everyone's going to grieve a little bit differently. But just remember, even as you read this, you might still be there in the night. But just remember this. You weren't meant to live there long term. Because joy comes in the morning. There is a morning waiting for you. And friends, if you are around someone who's grieving, don't walk away from them. Oh, but they don't make me feel good. They're not supposed to. You're supposed to be present with them. And you don't have to have magical words. You don't have to try to fix their grief. You don't have to try to fix them in that moment. Be present. Just keep showing up. Because God uses the community of others around us to heal grief inside of us. So I'm going to invite Pastor Matt to come if he would, and, and we're going to wrap this up today. And I just want a chance to pray with each of you here. If you are feeling bad because maybe you're carrying around guilt, guilt from things years ago, and maybe you have already asked forgiveness at some point, but you still carry it, I'm going to be praying that that ends today. If you're feeling bad because you're feeling conviction, I want you to lean in and say, thank you, God. It's proof you love me. And I need your help to change now. And if you're feeling loss and grief, friends, uh, we want to pray with you. We love you. We don't want you to feel alone. And at any point, as Pastor Matt leads us in the song, if you're here, it might be for other reasons, but you're just feeling badly. As we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to stand. Acknowledge where you're at so you can leave where you're at and move forward. So, Father, let's, let's go to prayer. Friends, Father, I know you see everyone who's standing online and right in this room now. And with great humility, they're acknowledging how they're feeling today. So, God, I know you understand their journey. You understand their pathway. You understand exactly why they're standing where they're standing. So God, I, I pray in general, Lord, for everyone. Lord, whatever it is that has positioned them in this place, for those who are confused of what it is, your Holy Spirit would give them discernment. And friends, I'm going to just go pray through those three points. If you find yourself in those points, you pray along with me. I think of those who are just feeling the weight of guilt in their life. Well, God, we come to you today. And we're feeling bad because we feel guilt. Some of it for unresolved stuff. Some of it we've even asked you to forgive for, give us of, but God, we've not been able to let it go. So God, we come to you today and we confess. 
We confess we need you. We need your grace. We need your righteousness. We need your forgiveness. God, would you not only forgive us of our sins, but would you cleanse the residue guilt and the false guilt that kind of clings to our souls, that keeps robbing us of joy, keeps us from moving forward in mission. God, would you cleanse us of all guilt and sin in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. For those of us, Lord, that we're feeling bad because of conviction. We're presently engaged in some decisions and situations and even some thoughts and beliefs, God, that we have, so we have felt your spirit chastise us. You, we have felt you, uh, that, that thing niggling inside of us, knowing this is not right. And God, we acknowledge that we have ignored it, hoping it would go away. But God, we say today, thank you for not letting it go away. Thank you that you are showing you love us and you want to be in relationship with us and those things are potentially harmful to our relationship with you. So God, today, Lord, we acknowledge we need to change. <laughs> and Lord, we ask for your Spirit's help to change us from the inside out. Where we lack the discipline and determination to change, help us to find that in accountability to others. May we confess our need for accountability May your Holy Spirit help us, God, so that we don't have to make a directional change, God, towards something that's moving away from you, but we can change towards something that's moving towards you. Help us, God. Give us faith to believe that you can help change any part of our lives. No one in this room or online is unchangeable. You are the only unchangeable one. <laughs> so change us by your power. And we collectively remember those in this room who are grieving. Lord, you know how that feels. Boy, you know that. You know what it means to grieve a loss. So Lord, we pray for our friends who are grieving. Give us wisdom on how to care for them and love them in the middle of this. But God, we pray just the whisper of Psalm 30 would come to their soul that there would be just the crack of light in the morning beginning to shine in them, and they would see a greater joy set before them. Lord, would you help them in this moment? Would you encourage them? And God, as we all suffer loss in this life, may there be good that comes from it. May we be aware, God, of, Lord, our mortality and the temporary nature of this world, and may we invest heavily in the eternal. May our eyes be fixed on the author and finish of our faith, who is not going to leave us but will never leave us or forsake us. And someday our last breath drawn on this earth, should you tarry, God, we will be present with you forever. We relish in that, Jesus. So God, I pray your blessing on your people. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.